This is Jeff Kober, and we welcome you to this uh, Disney at Work podcast that we have today. We apologize that it's a day or two late. Uh, last weekend, I chose to celebrate it, uh, my wedding anniversary with uh, my my good wife. Uh, we've celebrated our 36 year uh, anniversary, and because we really couldn't go much of anywhere, we, I just really focused on spending time with her. So please understand, sorry about that, but I am back today with um, a, a really good set of stories that I'd like to share with you. Uh, we have been, uh, at the Disney at Play series, been going through all of the parks around the world. And uh, having covered all the international parks, we'll soon be covering the Disneyland parks, both Disneyland Resort and Disney California Adventure. And we thought that perhaps this Disney at Work uh, podcast could tie into um, our conversation about Disney California Adventure, which to a lot of people who live uh, back east are not really aware of what that park is really, uh, really quite like. So we have some, some really wonderful stories uh, from Buena Vista Street. Now, Buena Vista Street, and by the way, you're going to want to make sure you take a look at the notes page, which we offer uh, for this. Uh, it has lots of photos and a couple of videos that'll be of interest to you, and um, plus some really important lessons at the end of it, our souvenirs for you and your organization. Buena Vista Street is to Disney California Adventure what uh, Main Street USA is to Disneyland. It's the main entrance thoroughfare into the park. It was not there on day one. Uh, the original look and feel of the entrance was based on kind of what a postcard come to life with big uh, letters uh, stating California in front and mountains in the background. It was more um, an exercise in tile and props and it uh, was probably, no, it was not probably, it was the worst entrance into the park ever. I remember the monorail would glide by, which was a really great location, but it was, it was kind of, um, the monorail beam was kind of disguised as the Golden Gate Bridge, only that bridge was collapsed and looked droopy, and it was just, it was a mess. There were a couple of interesting little pieces uh, the Santa Fe train that uh, led there on the side, but other than that, this was this was really a very disappointing entrance into a park that then continued to be disappointing once you left. So, when uh, the Walt Disney Company decided a number of years ago to reinvest with over a billion dollars of investment into this park, one of the first things they did was to recreate the street as Buena Vista Street. And while Main Street is kind of turn of the century Walt's childhood, Buena Vista Street represents Walt Disney at about the time of the 20s when he first arrived in Los Angeles. So many of the architectural elements are reminiscent of the Los Angeles area as you enter. And it's, it's really quite quaint. Not a lot of uh, ping pong lights at night or anything, but it has a lovely decor, wonderful shops, and lots of theme uh, theme details throughout it. So it's, it's a very, very cool place. As you go down the street, you get to what is a circular plaza in front of the Carthay Circle Theater. 
The Carthay Circle Theater, by the way, is not called the Carthay Circle Theater because there's a circle in front uh, because the original didn't have that, as far as I understand. Um, the original theater was actually in the shape of a circle, and that's why they call it the Carthay Circle Theater. But in our version of the Carthay Circle Theater here, which is a slightly smaller scale than the original, um, you have kind of a circular area. And if you go off uh, toward the right, you head toward Grizzly Peak and Soarin' and, and uh, all of the attractions that are in um, that section, Grizzly River Run. You head toward the left and you head toward Hollywood Land with Animation Academy and Guardians of the Galaxy Mission Breakout. If you head straight on through past the theater, you then move on to Cars Land and Pacific Wharf and Pixar Pier. And it's, um, it really is kind of the central hub of the park. And um, that hub is where we are going to feature uh, several stories today. Um, there are several icons to this. And we're going to start with an icon or a, a, a cafe, actually, a restaurant called Fiddler, Pfeiffer, and Practical Cafe. Now, this is actually one of the very first Starbucks that came into the Disney theme parks as they kind of entered into the experience. Um, only it's not called Starbucks. It's called Fiddler, Pfeiffer, and Practical Cafe, or FFNP. Uh, they use that title because calling it Three Little Pigs Starbucks Cafe wasn't really the right kind of feel. So, um, but the cafe in its title pays homage to a very successful short that Walt Disney created early in his career. You'll recall that um, as I spoke about the virus, uh, COVID-19, and, and likened it to some of the earlier challenging days of the Walt Disney Company as it entered into the Depression. Uh, that um, I gave a quote about Walt Disney's optimism and how he thought, well, maybe the medium of exchange could be potatoes and so forth. Well, Walt Disney had this, this dream. He had a vision. He saw himself in the early days of Hollywood breaking into show business. And, uh, and as the country was plunging into this depression, he offered an answer in the form of a short called The Three Little Pigs. It was released on May 27th of 1933. In fact, it won the Academy Award that year for Best Animated Short Film and has since been selected for preservation, preservation in the United States National Film Registry by the Library of Congress for its cultural and historical significance. Considered one of the top uh, cartoon shorts ever created. Frank Churchill's tune, and you may have heard it, Who's Afraid of the Big Bad Wolf, uh, became a rallying cry for the American people embroiled in the depths of the Depression. Churchill would later write, by the way, the songs for Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. His Big Bad Wolf lyrics um, spoke of working through one's fears and difficulties by um, the dint of hard work and effort. Walt Disney would later note, uh, quote, people sort of live in the dark about things. A lot of young people think the future is closed to them, that everything has been done. This is not so. 
there are still plenty of avenues to be explored. For youngsters of today, I say believe in the future. The world is getting better. There's still plenty of opportunity. End of quote. What a great quote, represented by this film and by its spirit of you can face um, the wolves that come to your door and you can face uh, the challenges that come before it. Um, the Three Little Pigs ran for months in the theater and Walt capitalized on its success by doing what? Sequels. <laughs> Disney does a lot of that now. Um, but creating additional pig and wolf shorts really didn't uh, win the day for Walt. Uh, in the end, he realized, yeah, you really can't top pigs with pigs. It was at this time that Walt envisioned something much bigger, a full length feature film. So it's, it's of no small consequence that as you step out of Fiddler, Pfeiffer, and Practical Cafe, the, the name of the three little pigs, and you look across that circle, you see the Carthay Circle Theater. And that is the home where Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs uh, made its debut. Now, more about that later, but I wanna talk about some other aspects of this circle. A lot of people um, are not aware, but in the center of the circle is a fountain. And um, this quaint fountain is um, very reminiscent of a major fountain that can be found in Los Angeles, a much larger fountain, in fact. In, in fact, the, the fountain in real life sits about halfway between the original Disney Brothers Hyperion Studios and the current Burbank Studios of today. That fountain the original fountain is known as Mulholland's Fountain. Um, it is dedicated as a memorial to the life of William Bill Mulholland. Uh, Mulholland. If you've seen Golden Dreams of Disney California Adventure, and if you're not familiar with that, when the park opened, they had, um, you know how you have the American Adventure at Epcot? Well, they celebrating, you know, the history of the United States well, they opened with a beautiful film. It did involve audio animatronics, but it was hosted by Whoopi Goldberg. And it, and it gave a, a story about how people from around the world came and made California what it is today. And it was called Golden Dreams. And in that film, and we'll have a link to uh, the video of it on our show notes page, there is actually a scene that features Mulholland bringing water to Los Angeles. As the water flows out, he says, quote, there it is, take it. Um, Mulholland did take the water. He was an engineer. He was responsible for engineering the infrastructure that would eventually bring water into Los Angeles and allow for the enormous growth that we see in this city um, today. It would not, Los Angeles would not be Los Angeles today if there had not been a way to bring water into the city. And he, he made that happen. He built what is known as the Los Angeles Aqueduct, which it deferred water from the Owens Valley much further north out of the mountains. The means by which water was taken from farmers some 200 miles distant may have been legal in some ways, definitely political in other ways, but mostly kind of unethical. 
Uh, it was about clout and who was going to get the water at the time. And the same thing had occurred uh, in another scenario with the Colorado River. Who gets the water from the Colorado River and who and where is the Hoover Dam was built, who gets the power from that dam and so forth. So these are political conversations that occurred. Um, in the eight years it took to build the aqueduct, Los Angeles found other ways to attain water. Much of the water ended up being used by nearby San Fernando Valley, where many of Mulholland's friends had been buying up land. In another feed, Mulholland, separate of this event that brought water into uh, Los Angeles, Mulholland also built what was known as the St. Francis Dam, a curved concrete gravity dam in Ventura County, intended to store water as part of the Los Angeles Aqueduct. Despite Mulholland's self-education as an engineer, the dam broke shortly before midnight on March 12th of 1928, just hours after he and his assistant had given it a safety inspection. When the dam broke, it killed some 500 people in its wake. Bodies would be found weeks later, washed up on the shores of beaches as far south as San Diego. That incident at the time was the worst American civil engineering disaster. Mulholland ended up quitting in disgrace, but he was not found guilty of any criminal act or intent. He did take full responsibility for his errors in human judgment. Still, he would respond, quote, the only ones I envy about this whole thing are the ones who are dead, end of quote. So this fountain, after Mohan's initial success, was built in his honor. Later, that event took place. They don't name this Mulholland Fountain at Circle Carthage Theater, but I will show you a picture of the actual fountain I took. It is reminiscent of that fountain. Also, there was one that was built at Disney's Hollywood Studios, even much smaller than the one at Disney California Adventure. Both of them take cues from that circular fountain that uh, was uh, Mulholland Fountain um, in Los Angeles. That fountain stands as a testimony to great ingenuity and to great mistakes. And um, it is a lesson for all of us. The thread that weaves through all of this area is the red car trolley, which goes down um, Lake or goes down Buena Vista Street, circles around the plaza, then heads down Hollywood Land, ending up at what is now Guardians of the Galaxy um, Mission Breakout. That uh, you may um, uh, when you go down these streets, you actually see wires stretched down and the small trolley um, uh, allow, is actually an attraction you can ride all the way through and you can get off at the different stops it has. Um, at Disney's Hollywood Studios, they also have a trolley station and a map of that trolley system. They have a little um, uh, gift kiosk based on the trolley on Sunset Boulevard. And then actually, curiously enough, the um, the power station for the trolley is actually where you find the 
Starbucks uh, uh, location there at Disney's Hollywood Studios. You may remember the trolley from the film Who Framed Roger Rabbit. In that film, the trolley company is mysteriously sold to Cloverleaf Industries with the intent to dismantle the trolley system to um, facilitate the building of freeways. There, the villain was a Judge Doom, played by Christopher Lloyd, a tune in real life, uh, intent on taking control. But there's a real-life version of what happened, and it doesn't involve tunes at all. The real-life story was called, quote, The Great American Streetcar Scandal, in which General Motors, yes, the same people who sponsor Test Track, and along with, either, with other oil and rubber companies, purchased and dismantled the streetcar systems across the country, including the Pacific Electric Railway. All of this was done under the direction of GM President Alfred P. Sloan, one of the most, actually one of the most brilliant men of the 20th century, but again, a controversial man, much like Mulholland. He organized a small unit where some 100 trolley systems were purchased and dismantled during this period, including the red and yellow lines in Los Angeles. In truth, America's new love affair with cars already led to lower ridership on the red lines, though the yellow lines at that time were still flourishing. Ultimately, the organizations that conspired to shut down streetcar systems across the country were indicted and found guilty, but the court only imposed a sanction of $5,000 on General Motors, with a $1 uh, fine being imposed directly on the VP of GM. But there were great consequences. With the city embracing the car and leaving mass transit behind, Los Angeles ultimately became an unending tangle, a freeway stuck in gridlock. It would be many decades later before the city again embraced a mass transit uh, rail system, this time in the form of the Los Angeles County Metro Rail. According to the Metro system, an average of over 350,000 passengers or more boarded daily. Uh, still, Los Angeles has been rated by USA Today as the most congested metro area in the United States, with four of the 10 most congested corridors being in Los Angeles. And the worst of all, an eight mile stretch on the 405. And if you have not been on the 405, oh my goodness, I know exactly the stretch. It's not a pretty picture. Yet only 6.2% of the workers in the area currently take public transportation. You know, in our efforts to be successful, there can be intended and unintended consequences to our behavior. This story of Mulholland and of General Motors and the trolley, they are, they are indicative of that unintended consequence. What we value determines what we think about most. And those thoughts really are the things that define our destiny. What are our values? What are our motives? What is at our heart? That's important, especially as we face this virus and the consequences of, of closing the economy or of wearing masks, of keeping people uh, under in their homes and so forth. What are our intentions? What are the consequences? Stephen R. Covey 
in uh, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People once noted, you sow a thought, you reap an action. Sow an action, you reap a habit. Sow a habit, you reap a character. Sow a character, you reap a destiny. The destiny of this city is based on people who sowed a thought initially. For good or bad. Now, again, these are two painful stories with ugly consequences. However, I want to go back to our original hero, Walt Disney, who saw also that you could sow a thought and ultimately reap a greater destiny. And boy, isn't that the Walt Disney Company. And so our final location we're going to head to here is the Carthay Circle Theater, which is actually a restaurant. It's actually referred to as the Carthay Circle uh, Theater Restaurant. And, um, and so the inside, there is no theater when you go inside. Um, there is a lounge uh, on the bottom floor and then a private club that is kind of part of Club 33 um, called the 1901, which is based on Walt's, uh, uh, the year that Walt was born. There's a plaque outside the door at this theater, the night of December 21st, 1937. Walt Disney introduced the first full-color, feature-length, animated motion picture, Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. The rest, as they say, is history. <laughs> that's, that's how the black is named. Go in, you'll actually see some memorabilia. We'll show some pictures of it on our, on our page. Go upstairs, you get to a gorgeous, beautiful restaurant. Probably, in my opinion, the best restaurant. I, you know, I'm such a fan of the Brown Derby at Disney's Hollywood Studios. That's my favorite restaurant at Walt Disney World because it harkens to that era of Hollywood. This does it all the more. And, um, and what I love, and I show an image of this, is they, there are murals that, um, that kind of lean upward toward the couple of the, of the, uh, of the theater, the, of the, of the tower. And they depict scenes or backdrops from Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. Um, it's just, it's really just a very gorgeous thing. Um, when Walt sunk his resources into Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, people called the film Disney's Folly. Many thought the project would result in Disney going bankrupt. Just consider all that Walt had to deal with in bringing Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs to the screen. First, no one had ever done a full-length animated feature before. Second, his animators had to become experts at drawing humans, not just simply creating cartoon figures. Third, parents and critics were concerned that looking at something for so long in color would hurt their children's eyes. That's why the, the colors are much more pastel and more muted in this film, is to address that concern that uh, parents and critics had at that time. Fourth, early attempts in writing the music for the film were met with resistance. Walt wanted a song to weave into the story, not have the performers just burst into a song like it was an opera. Next, the Hyperion studio didn't have enough space for all the artists it needed to work on that film. 
Next, Walt had to get the bank on board to finance the movie and to stay on board when production costs exceeded initial estimates. And I don't know if you're familiar with the great story. They got laid into production. They were running out of money. He invited a Bank of America executive to come to the studio on a Saturday, just pretty much he and the bank executive, and they showed whatever they could of the finished reel of Snow White. And that bank executive <laughs> just sat there in silence uh, through the whole thing. And then at the end, he got up and started to leave. And finally, Wallace, he left, goes, so, so what do you think? <laughs> the Bank of America guy turned to him and said, that is going to make you a boatload of money. And it did, it did. But I'll come back to that in a minute. In the meanwhile, the distributor wanted Walt to downplay the idea that Snow White was a fairy tale because audiences don't buy fairy tales. The distributor wanted to sell it as a romantic. And finally, recouping the cost came at 18 cents a ticket because that was the going rate to see a movie back in 1937. Can you imagine that? 18 cents a ticket and you're trying to and trying to make up the couple of million you put into this movie. Well, in the end, Walt's vision came true. And the film garnered rave reviews and grossed eight million worldwide. It was a bright moment in a time when people were trying to pull out of a long depression. No question, our own success is defined not by opportunity, but in our persistence in defeat. This is about vision, it's about persistence, it's about courage, it's about hard effort, it's about having an attitude toward the positive. And having named, and having gone around the circle, you know, we've gone to, uh, 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 to um, first the Pfeiffer Fiddler and, and, um, and Practical Cafe, and we talked about Mohan Fountain, and we talked about the uh, red car trolley, and we talked about Carthay Circle Restaurant. The last thing we, I just have to mention the last, uh, the last thing you'll see when you're there is a statue of Walt. Similar to the way there's a partner statue in the center of the Central Plaza at Disneyland and at Magic Kingdom at Walt Disney World, this this uh, statue isn't up on a pedestal. The statue sits on the ground, and it's it it shows Walt Disney in in fairly simple clothes with Mickey, uh, an early Mickey, right next to him. Um, and uh, there's a short quote saying, we are just getting started. And, uh, and then there's a longer quote from Walt that accompanies it, goes, quote, it was July, 1923. I packed all of my worldly goods, materials, and the last of the fairy tale reels we had made in a kind of frayed cardboard suitcase. And with that wonderful audacity of youth, I went to Hollywood arriving there with just $40. It was a big day, the day I got on that Santa Fe California Limited. I was just free and happy. Oh, we all need to stand in this circle of life and find that place 
where we can be free and happy. As is the case with all of our Disney at Work podcasts, there's some souvenirs we want to offer you, and they're free. They're free souvenirs for you to take back to yourself and to your organization. Consider the following. What are the wolves at your doorstep that you must encounter? How are you going to work through your fears? What consequences do you and others face when you take a short view approach to your life and to the activities you embark on? What do you want as an ultimate destiny? How is it based on what you value, on what matters most? What are the consequences of the decisions you make in your life? How persistent is your vision? And what are the follies others see in your efforts? How do you face them and move forward? Can you find that place where you are free and happy? Well, that's another Disney at Work podcast. Stay, uh, stay tight because before the end of this week, we will be uh, celebrating Disney California Adventure and sharing everything we love about that park. And there are some really wonderful things to love and enjoy. So don't miss that podcast. Be sure to subscribe and uh, and make sure if you if you like the kind of podcast we're sharing with you, we're just a little little trolley car on this big track and it would really help if you could just go over to itunes and leave us maybe a favorable rating or review that would really help us along our way remember that we offer at disney at work and through my organization performance journeys solutions ideas concepts tools to help you and your organization in these difficult times and as you get started into uh, the world ahead of you as we head back into work. How are you going to feel going back to work eventually and, and getting things started? Do you feel that momentum? Do you feel like the world is ahead of you? Are you, are you feeling like another wave of this virus might be coming to you? And when does it really end? And how do you deal with it? You know, we're here to help support you. So just give me a call. Let's, let's hear about your concerns, your issues, the challenges your organization's facing. That's the that's least I can do, is just to, um, to listen to your needs and help in any way I can through these podcasts, through my books, through programs and workshops and seminars and events. Well, thanks for joining us. And please join us again soon. And in the words of Sinbad, and his uh, storybook voyage at Tokyo Disney Sea. That's episode 37. Make sure you always follow the compass of your heart. Have a great day, 